able to find what we need to not just get through, but to, to thrive and, and to rise high in the midst of challenges. So this morning, uh, again, I greet you and I, I'm just so excited to have you with us this morning. Before we get started, I want to take a moment of personal privilege. Um, I want to ask you to pray for me and my family. Um, uh, so what I'm about to share will be news to some of you. Others of you may not have an idea what I'm about to, to share with or know the persons I'm about to share with you. But I do ask you to pray with us. Uh, in my family, uh, this week, I have lost two first cousins. My cousin, Jackie Jones, husband, Arvey, went home to be with the Lord this week. And we ask you to pray for, pray for Jackie and Jeanette Arvey Jr., Alicia, and the entire Jones family. They are part of the Rich downline. Also, my uh, first cousin, Dorothy Rich, lost her 28-year-old grandson this week. And so his name was Deshaun. And we ask you to be praying for Dorothy, Deshaun, and all of the Rich family on that side. Additionally, uh, another of my first cousins, Sandy Alfred Proctor, has had a major stroke. She's in the hospital, and we're praying for complete recovery. And so this morning, we ask you to be praying for the Alfred family. Uh, she has uh, uh, it's a total of five, five of them, not counting Sandy. She has two sisters and three brothers and all of the rest of our family. It's a huge family. They're on the Jefferson Bray side. And so we ask you to be praying for Sandy, her husband, Daryl, and uh, Derek, I mean, and uh, just ask the Lord to encourage Derek as, as he stands by Sandy's side and the entire family. We need your prayers this week. Most of the time I mention other people, but this week I'm asking you to pray for our family. Amen, amen, amen. Now, this morning, family, I, I, I believe God has given me a word that's going to be a, an encouragement, a challenge, a blessing, and a hope to every one of us today. And we're going to be sharing with you from the thought, it's time for the Nehemiahs to rise up. Let me say that again. It is time for the Nehemiahs to rise up. Many of you know exactly where I'm going with that. Others of you, this might be a first time hearing this thought or this idea or even the name Nehemiah and having it to mean something to you. But we're going to be sharing with you from the first chapter of Nehemiah and the first six verses. I'm going to be reading them from the Message Bible. Let me put you on notice. There is no way that we're going to cover all of this today. This is likely going to be a multi-part series. But I just ask you to hang with me every week because I believe that if you grab a hold of what we're going to be sharing with you, it's going to change your life, your family, your community, and everything that you are connected to, every person you're connected to, and most of all, it's going to change you and me. 
Amen. Amen. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me as we look unto the Lord for prayer? Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, God, it is in that great name that we come before you this morning, looking to you to give me everything that I need. Anoint my voice, my heart, my spirit, my tongue, everything about me today, God, so that as we go forth in the teaching of your word, that it will be impactful to every man, woman, boy, and girl who has an opportunity to view or even to listen in. God, we, we, we're depending upon you to be the difference maker as we look unto you today to become folk who are Nehemiahs rising up that you might use us to change our world and you might get the glory. God, we bless, honor, and thank you right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. So if you would just follow along with me again, I'm reading from the Message Bible, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And it, it reads as follows. It says, The memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, Hananiah, one of my brothers had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews there who had exiled, I'm sorry, who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they told me the exile survivors who are left there in Jerusalem in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are cinders. In verse 4, this is what Nehemiah said. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, God of heaven, God, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me, listen to me, pay attention to this prayer of your servant that I'm praying day and night in intercession for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, and including myself and my ancestors among those who have sinned against you. Amen. I said our thought today is that will the real Nehemiahs rise up? Let me, I want to, before I get directly to the text, I want to share a little historical story with you that I believe can help bring this text to our focus. Some of you might be a little young and you might have to go back into your history books to get it, but many people who are anywhere near my age, older than me, or within 10 years of my age, uh, what I'm about to share with you is probably very familiar. There was a U.S. Senator from the state of Missouri who, uh, when he took his seat the very first time in the U.S. Senate, 
he had a name that was given to him that was not a very pretty name. In fact, it was a name that kind of dishonored him, kind of degraded him. But it wasn't much that he could do about it. He was uh, given a name that most of the time when you think about it, when you think about the context of the name, you think, why in the world would he allow anyone to call him by that name? But he was called the Senator from Pendergast, P-E-N-D-E-R-G-A-S-T. And you say, well, preacher, why is that important? Well, the reason it's important, uh, most of us are aware of the fact that many times when people get elected to office, they don't get elected by themselves. There are people who put their arms around them, anoint them, if you will, put their money behind them in such a way that if you're not careful, you have more allegiance to the money and people of power and influence that have anointed you than you do to the calling of the people who have actually elected you. And this brother uh, was elected as a U.S. Senator, prestigious office, high-paying position, uh, a position of honor. But when, as you all know, because over the last couple of years, I'm sure you've all watched uh, Senate hearings and you've watched when they call a senator, they say, well, the senator from California, well, the senator from this state or that state. This man was not called the senator from Missouri, even though he was from Missouri. They called him the senator from Pendergast. And, and, and the reason they called him that is that when he was elected, it was the money and the powerful influence of a, 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 a crooked political leader in Kansas City who got behind this man, put his money behind him, put his name on him, and, and then helped him get elected. So when this senator got to Washington to take his seat, instead of being called a senator from Missouri, he was called a senator from Pendergast, meaning that he owed his position to a crooked politician named Pendergast. Now, uh, the reason I'm telling you about this is because even though Pendergast was a crooked man, he gave this senator three words of advice when he took his seat. He said, when you take your seat, work hard, keep your mouth shut, and answer your letters. Now, that might not sound like much to you, but when I finish telling you the story, it's going to come together with Nehemiah. Uh, when this senator, whose name was Harry Truman, sat down at his office as U.S. Senator. He remembered Pendergast said, answer your letters. He opened up a letter from uh, someone who was near to his state, who described that uh, military bases that were being built by President Roosevelt to support the British effort in what later would be called World War II. This, this letter was detailing to Senator Truman that the military installations that were being built were being built by contractors who were taking full advantage of the money from the U.S. government. They were using 
inferior quality material. They were doing inferior work. And most of the time, uh, they were not even putting people on the job that were qualified to build the military installations. Well, as Senator Truman read this letter, somehow, and I believe it was the, the, the Lord himself, Senator Truman decided that he was going to take a journey and inspect for himself these installations. And so he left out from Washington, drove down to Florida on the way, stopping at military installations that were being, that were being erected because the president was saying, we're going to back up our friends in England with military resources. And as he was driving, he was taking copious notes of what he observed. He drove to Florida, then he drove all the way back up to Michigan, taking notes, observing, getting out of his car. He, failed, he refused to stay in first-class hotels. It was all about observing what was going on in our nation. The more he observed, the more disturbed Harry Truman became. Uh, when he returned back to Washington, 10,000 miles later, driving by himself, nobody with him, no, did not tell anybody about the trip. Those who know the story of Nehemiah, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? But when he got back to Washington, he told President Roosevelt what he had discovered. But the president did nothing with the report. So he took the report, gave it to the senators, and said, look, we've got to do something about this because we are being taken advantage of by contractors who recognize that the U.S. will spend the money and, it does, and will not inspect the work. Well, family, uh, that sounds to me a little bit about like the story of Nehemiah. When you read the story of Nehemiah in verse 2 of chapter 1, it tells us that Nehemiah had a visit from some friends who were from his homeland back in Jerusalem. And as most of us would, the text tells us that he asked the question, how are things back home? What's going on with my folk back home? What's going on? And the friend said to Nehemiah, you wouldn't believe what it's like. At this point, y'all, uh, the, the people of God who called Jerusalem home had been scattered because they had failed in their faithfulness to God. They had begun worshiping idols and hanging out with neighbors who did not worship the true and living God. And as a result, they lost the privilege of the hometown that God had given them, the, the, the place that, that flowed with milk and honey. They had lost it. The city had been destroyed. The walls had been torn down and the gates had been burned. And when Nehemiah heard that some people had returned and they had begun rebuilding the city, but these brothers reported to him that the walls are still torn down and the gates are burned to the ground. And the word tells us that Nehemiah 
after he heard this, the word tells us that Nehemiah said, I, I, I wept and I mourned for days because it hurt me to consider the condition that my people were in. Well, family, this morning, as I'm standing here before you, talking about what is going on with Nehemiah, I want you to understand that all of us ought to be hurting right now as we consider the condition of our nation, as we consider the condition of our families, as we consider the condition of our people all around this nation. One of the things that has happened is that we have been taken into captivity by the mindset of a foreign, oh my God, let me be careful, of a foreign thinking enemy called the devil himself. I, I want you to know that hanging out with people around us does not mean that we have to be like people around us. I believe that when, when Nehemiah heard this report, what in his mind's eye, he saw that, yes, some folk had returned to the homeland, but they were infected, infested, taken over with a mindset that did not honor God, did not bless God, did not worship God. And as a result, they had lost the land that God had made available to them. So listen to me. I want you to hear this well. When God sets out to bless your life, God expects all of us to be different from everybody around us. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. In other words, if you wear the name Jesus, you ought to not look like everybody else not talk like everybody else, not walk like everybody else, not live like everybody else. You ought to be a light to everybody around you because we're living in a time of darkness. And the only way that the darkness is going to be changed is that the people of light allow the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine so powerfully upon, upon us that it changes the way that we think, see, hear, speak, walk, talk, and live the life that God has called us to live. And so, although Jesus was talking to believers, as he described by Matthew, the examination of God's works, words, and action, he was saying to the folk both through the years of Old Testament, down right through the New Testament, and right to us today, illustrating to us that God formed his people in every generation to be a light to the world. I hope you're hearing me this morning because I'm not just talking to anybody. I'm talking to men and women of God today who ought to be a light in the time of darkness. God had established this city, Jerusalem, y'all, as the central city of Israel. And Israel had become the seat of God as their king. Who's your king? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who sits on the throne of your life? As, as I'm sharing this text with you today, uh, is your heart bleeding 
as you consider what's going on in our land today? Is your heart bleeding as you consider what's going on in our families today? Is your heart bleeding as you consider what's happening to folk all around the world today by this nasty disease called coronavirus? Are you connected with the heart of God or are you being influenced by the media and by the politicians and by the world thought and system that has us believing and thinking like the world instead of looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Family, this morning, as I listened to Nehemiah's heart, as he was responding to the information that he received, I heard in his words that he said, I mourned, I cried, I wept. Why? Because he recognized that the only reason that the city had been in ruins, that the wall had been torn down and the gates had been burned is because the people had rebelled against God and began listening to the words of the world around them and allowing the world around them to shape their thoughts and their lifestyle and their expectations and the manner in which they walk, talk, and live their lives. Family, God warned them over and over again through his prophets. And yet, except for pockets of revival, the people continued to plunge deeper and deeper into the world system of sin around them. Oh God, I know you're sitting there going, he didn't say sin. Yes, I did say sin because family, I want you to know uh, that tube that we pay a lot of attention to, the devices that we spend a lot of time on, the, 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 the um, devices that have us on social media. I, I realize that it can be valuable but it also can be destructive. I, 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 I'm on social media. I see stuff and hear stuff that break my heart too. My heart bleeds like Nehemiah's heart was bleeding when I see friends and family members and believers in the Lord who are, are, are gossiping and, and, and sharing thought systems that are contrary to the word of God. And the reason my heart bleeds is because I realize that we've been overtaken and that we are being caught up and that ruins are coming upon us. Our walls of protection are being torn down and the gates that should be keeping out the enemy are burned to the ground because we are caught up in the world thoughts and the world system rather than in God's system. So Nehemiah said, I wept and cried and, and, and I, I spent a lot of time mourning the news that I received. Why? Because he knew that his people had been caught up in the captivity of a world system. And that the reason they had lost what God was providing is because God was disciplining them by saying, if you don't appreciate who I am, and what I'm doing for you. After a while, you're going to look around and the cupboards are going to be bare. The, you might have stuff, 
but stuff won't bring peace. You might have friends, but your friends don't have a heaven to take you to. Uh, God is trying to call you and me back to the place that he intended us to be blessed in. That place in the text was known as Jerusalem. It was lying in ru ruin. The temple was leveled and the walls were torn down. But over a period of time, some of the people were permitted to return. And I'm saying to you, if you're willing to turn back to the Lord, he's going, the door is open. And he's saying unto you right now, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burden. I know you're, you're overwhelmed with the thought of coronavirus. I know you're overwhelmed with the political stuff that's going on all around you. I know you're overwhelmed with sickness and disease and dying and, and people talking in, in, in things that are disturbing your spirit. But come on home because I want to bring peace in the midst of your chaos. I want to rebuild the walls that have been torn down. Let me, let me tell you what Nehemiah was trying to help us to understand. Nehemiah wanted us to understand that everybody wants and needs to feel protected and secure. And when we read that the walls were torn down and the gates were burned, what that means to you and me in today's world is that the, the word of God is not alive not active, not at the front of our attention, that we are believing and, and following after and connecting ourselves to everybody, everything, every system that will tear down instead of build up what God wants to build up in and through us. So we've sacrificed, we have given up the wall of protection which is the blood of the lamb who gave his life on Calvary's cross. That wall is gone, y'all. But I'm here to tell you today that it can be and will be restored to every one of us who are willing to return and allow God to have our heart and our mind that it might be shaped and formed by the word of God. That's where your protection is. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. You might have won that $730 million last week. But I want to tell you that money in the bank can never make you as secure as Jesus in the heart. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah right now because it's Jesus in the heart that restores the torn down walls. It's Jesus in the heart that will rebuild the gates that have been burned down. Everybody needs and wants to feel protected and secure. And $730 million won't do it. Money can make you feel good for a moment, but nothing can make you secure like the presence of the Holy Ghost and the word of the Lord through Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you, uh, yeah, you want security. You want to be protected. You need to return to the one who gave his life on Calvary's cross. 
uh, that you might be saved and have security. I'm going to get ready to close in a few moments. I only got to one point, and I told you this is going to be multiple parts, but let me just share a little bit more. Nehemiah, when he received this message, was in a place called Persia, and he was a high government official. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, Nehemiah was known as the king's cupbearer. Well, what is a king cupbearer? The king's cupbearer had very close, intimate relationship with the king, and it had to be so. And the reason is this. The cupbearer was the one who tasted the food and the drink of the king before the king tasted it. Well, why is that important? Well, family, that's important because kings needed protection. And they didn't always know the Lord for protection. So they hired someone that they believed they could trust. And their expectation was that the cupbearer would drink their cup first, eat their food first. If the drink or the food did not kill them, then it was safe for the king to partake. Well, let me tell you a little secret. Yes, he was a high government official. He had access to the king. He was a confidant of the king. The reason was that he had to be trusted. And, and that's where this text is beginning. When he received the word, he was in the high place right near the king as a person who was greatly trusted. Well, in verse 2, after he received the very, very terrible news, after he had become disillusioned, uh, I, I want you to think about something. I want you to think, why would a man who knows God become disillusioned and disheartened? Let me make this point real clear. I believe if you wear a robe of flesh like I do, uh, the first moment when you receive information, it is natural that you might shake for a moment. It's natural that anxiety might come in for a moment. It's natural that you might sit down and shed a tear or mourn. When, when I heard that my cousins had passed this week, I know that there was some them some very serious tear shedding. I was talking to one cousin and, and she said, I, I, I know that Avi's okay. I know that he's with the Lord. And, and I know that, that all is well with him. No more suffering. No more going through. But I still miss him. And, and it's real, family. It, it, we go through that. But the reality is, after you have had your moment, what is the next thing that you're going to do? And Nehemiah said that after that moment, the next thing that he began to do was pray. He got still and he began to pray. I want to tell you, you're going to get rocked. You're going to have disappointment. You're going to experience loss and heartache and heartbreak. You're going to be disappointed. And you might take a moment 
to, to, to weep and even be shaken a little bit. But let me suggest to you that the very next act, and it should not take long to get there if you are a man and woman of faith, is to get down before the Lord. And you might declare, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. You might say, Lord, I'm, I'm rocking, I'm reeling, I'm shaking. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I don't like what has happened, but you're God and you're God all by you. You're sovereign God. And so I, I understand that, but I need your help right now. Nehemiah called time out from his mourning and his weeping. And he began to call on the Lord God Almighty. And I want to rec I want to tell you that in the midst of your tragedy, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your difficulty, call time out and have a little talk with Jesus. Call on the Lord and let him have your heart, your mind, and your spirit. Let me tell you something. When he comes into your heart, he'll let you know that he'll be your very present help in the time of trouble. If you give him your mind, he'll begin to, to order your steps and give you direction even in the midst of wiping tears from your eyes. He'll help you and walk with you and encourage you. Why? Because when you turn to him, which he has desired all along, he'll give you proof and evidence that he is the true and the living God. I'm going to share one more point with you, and then we'll close. Nehemiah 1 and 4 tells us that after Nehemiah received this news, after he was so deeply touched, after he wept and mourned uh, several days, after he literally had rocked for a moment, he prayed, but then he listened. And I want to tell you that prayer is dialogical. Prayer is not you, just you talking to God, but prayer is you and me positioning ourselves so that we can hear what God has to say to us too. I want to tell you, he'll come in. He'll put his arm around your shoulder. He'll put his his lips close to your ear and whisper to you, I am with you and I will never leave you nor forget, for, never forget you. He'll tell you, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He will let you know that he'll walk with you and talk with you and remind you that you are his own. So this morning, as I get ready to close, and I, I didn't even cover as much. I knew it was going to be multiple parts, but I didn't even cover all the part one today. But I just want you to know that, yes, we need security. We need protection. Remember, when those walls and gates were torn and burned down, they were torn and burned down because the people forgot all about God. And they spent too much time focusing on the world around them and not enough time focusing upon the Lord. I'm saying to you, you can, those walls will be rebuilt and the gates will be restored, but it will only come 
as we turn to him and listen to him so that he can tell us when, where, and how. Next week, we'll spend more time talking about what Nehemiah received as he looked to Jesus, as he looked to God. But I, I just want to encourage you today, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult, how painful, how absolutely overwhelming you may feel, the Lord is a very present help in the time of trouble. And so as we close for today, I just want you to remember that Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith and my faith. He will walk with you, talk with you, and tell you that you are his own. He's got more than words, y'all. He'll demonstrate it if you position yourself so that he can do it. Uh, we're going to talk in the weeks to come about the restoration of the wall, the restoration of the gates, and why that's important. Remember, that was the city that God had given to his people. They lost it, but he wants to restore it. You might feel that you've lost, but God is here, and he wants to restore to you everything that the devil has stolen away. May God bless you and heaven smile on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before we close, I, I do want to offer an invitation this morning. You might be here, you might have heard that word, and you might be one of the ones who, if you're willing to be entirely honest with yourself this morning, you know that you have sacrificed so much of what God has given you or what he has promised you 